Welcome back. I'm Lauren Gardner. This is Sad Girl Jams, a podcast about music, feminism, and mental health. Before we get started, I just want to say a sincere thank you from the bottom of my heart to anyone who's listened to any part of this podcast. Seriously, thank you so much. Putting this out has been vulnerable and scary and a labor of love, and it means the world to me if it resonates with even one person. And if you shared it with a friend you think might like it, wow, thank you so much for doing that. You're amazing. Last episode in particular was a little scary for me, and if you listened to it, you probably know why, which is why I want to say an extra special thank you to anyone who took the time to tell me how much they loved it, especially to my friend Jonathan, who told me it was straight fire and then corrected himself to say it was gay fire. (laughs) That is maybe the best compliment I've received in my whole life. Um... So one more thing before we get really on topic, I just want to throw out a quick podcast recommendation. If you aren't familiar with Dylan Maron's podcast, Conversations with People Who Hate Me, just yet, I honestly can't recommend it enough. If I were a teacher, I'd make this like required reading or required listening, I guess. If you aren't familiar with Dylan Maron, I know him as a voice actor on the podcast Welcome to Night Vale, which was one of the only things that helped me when I was dealing with chronic insomnia, but... He's also a writer and an activist who's also pretty well known on the internet for making a lot of social justice videos where he unpacks complex societal issues like privilege or police brutality in the style of famous YouTubers who quote-unquote unbox beauty products and stuff like that on camera. Anyway, it lends itself to a lot of negative commentary, but Dylan does something really remarkable with it. He actually reaches out to some of the people who leave him hateful messages and has phone conversations with them. It's not a scream fest, and it's not a quote-unquote social justice warrior railing against why someone called them something horrendously offensive on the internet. Dylan handles everything with such grace and positive intent and palpable desire to find common ground that it's simultaneously inspiring and mind-boggling how successful the conversations are at helping people find connection. It actually really helped me in my own life because I received some negative unsolicited feedback recently and was initially pretty blustery and angry about it, but after binge listening to the first season of Conversations with People Who Hate Me, it really inspired me to reach out to the person who made the comment and try to understand more about where they were coming from, which gave me an opportunity to feel more comfortable expressing why it was hurtful in a productive way. So in short, I'd encourage you to give it a listen, especially if hearing me describe it sounds like it might make you a little uncomfortable. Trust me, it's the kind of uncomfortable that's worth it. Anyway, so jumping back in, this is actually going to be the last episode of this season. 
I'll share a little more later about what's next for Sad Girl Jams later on in the episode, but for now, I want to talk about something else in the realm of grounding yourself when you're in the midst of changes. For me, probably unsurprisingly to any regular listeners, a big thing I gravitate toward whenever I'm going through a lot are artists who make me feel at home. And when I say at home, I don't mean specifically in my hometown of Aliso Viejo, California. I mean music that makes me slow down, take a breath, and feel my feelings in a way that won't hurt me or other people. I want to talk about two things in particular. One is a couple of bands I've grown up with over the years, and in so doing have seen parts of myself reflected in their bodies of work. And two, songs that bring me back to a specific moment in time and help me get back in touch with who I've been and with who I want to be. The first time I remember seeing a girl in a modern-day band and going, whoa, I want to be like her, was when I heard Haley Williams of Paramore for the first time. And yeah, it was Misery Business, and that song was super problematic because it pitted two girls against each other for boys' attention, but we all know better now, and we've talked about it, so great. But Haley's voice was unique, literally, and she was the first girl closest to my age I remember really commanding a presence in music. She had bright orange hair, and even though she was only like 18 when Riot came out, I just remember her as so powerful. I remember her as someone I wanted to be like, and now, all these years later, I still feel that same way. Paramore went through a lot of shit in the media when they first really blew up. I remember hearing a lot of rumblings of squabbles within the band, as Haley's male bandmates allegedly took a lot of umbrage with the fact that she was perceived as the star. And I remember a lot of articles really trying to demonize her as a few of the founding male bandmates left Paramore. But it never mattered to me when I actually listened to her music. I have a very specific recollection of a friend of mine handing me a mix CD in her red pickup truck that had Misguided Ghosts, a song off Paramore's third album, burned onto it, one day when she picked me up from high school. Around the same time I first saw a therapist for depression I was dealing with at the time. And let me tell you, I wore the hell out of that song and that CD. It was a big step from Riot, which I'd also worn the hell out of after begging my mom to take me to the local Target so I could spend my allowance on it. But Misguided Ghosts, and really a lot of Brand New Eyes, the album it's from, is so much about perseverance and how the band held together even in the face of what evidently felt like certain destruction. Paramore's always helped me hold on to hope. And it's done that largely through Haley's voice, fluctuating between powerful cries and desolate wails and gentle softness, always feeling like something that slows my heart down a little when I'm panicking and keeps me emotionally grounded when I'm facing some kind of darkness. The only Paramore song that embodies what I'm talking about even more so than Misguided Ghosts, for me at least, is Last Hope, off their self-titled album. My good friend Meg actually got to see my very favorite rendition of this song, which you can find on the internet somewhere if you look hard enough, which was when they performed it live on tour with Fall Out Boy in Chicago in 2014. If you're unfamiliar with the song, it's very self-reflective and brings up a lot of acknowledgement that things might be bleak or make you feel isolated or depressed, but that as long as there's a spark of hope still alive, there's a reason to keep going. It came to me in a time when I needed it most, when I didn't really know how to let go of control in my life and pursue, in Haley's words, this little bit of blind hope that I still had left. It was really validating for me. That song always reminds me of my friend Mag, actually. She's, among many other things, the most talented photographer I've ever seen, and one of a few people I care about who's never wanted to do anything else in her life aside from pursue this one beautiful artistic medium she's gifted at, 
And if she's listening to this, guaranteed she's probably going to tell me I'm an idiot for calling her gifted. But if she does, that's fine. I'm the biggest idiot in the world. Anyway, this song reminds me of Meg because I don't know a single person who has to deal with such constant sexism and pay inequity and objectification and all this other bullshit that absolutely goes unregulated and unchecked in the music industry. And while Haley Williams is now a big-ass star, which is awesome for her, she's someone who never stopped putting in the work to make things she's incredibly talented at, no matter who told her they were crap or that she wasn't going to make it because of her gender, even when that seemed impossible. And that reminds me a lot of my friend. Another thing I really admire about Haley is how much work she puts into destigmatizing mental illness. Pretty much the entirety of After Laughter, Paramore's most recent album, is an ode to dealing with anxiety and coping in a world that makes you want to be positive when it feels impossible. So for me, I most associate Paramore with holding on to hope, no matter how irrational or impossible it seems. And because one of my favorite people who embodies that just as well once went to see my favorite performance of one of my favorite songs, it makes me love them all the more. The other band I really feel like I've grown up with is Florence and the Machine. I remember my best friend Clara and I careening down Pacific Coast Highway, blasting Dog Days Are Over the summer I learned to drive, and feeling like the cool kids for once, for knowing music no one else in our stupid grade at our stupid high school knew. I remember being thrilled when Ceremonials finally came out and listening to it before, during, and after a relationship I had in college turned abusive. I had a really hard time listening to it for a while, but after I gave myself a little time to heal, I remember actively thinking to myself that I wouldn't let that person take this album away from me just because it reminded me of a time in my life that was like living in hell. And I'm glad I didn't. That album is so full of power, so full of reverence for nature, hell, so full of something close to witchcraft that I still find myself turning to it over and over again. Florence and the Machine's most recent two albums, the very underrated How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful, and the recently released High as Hope, have both been vital to me in finding peace in solitude in my own life. When I listen to both of those albums, I feel more in tune with myself, more like some part of nature that needs care and attention to grow. High as Hope in particular is magic to me, because it's the first album Florence Welch released after getting sober, and I have so much reverence for her choice to give words to such a difficult time in her life and share them so beautifully with other people. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that there's real power in identifying your weakness, in talking about it so you acknowledge it and give it its space, but not letting it control you. There's a power in sharing things with other people, and there's just as much of a different kind of power in the private moments you hold on to by yourself. What are the things you listen to when everything's falling apart? And who do you share them with in your public and your private moments? If I could pick a visualization for this in pop culture, it'd be that scene in Greta Gerwig's movie Lady Bird from last year, where Julie and Lady Bird hold hands and sob in the car with the seats rolled all the way back, blasting Dave Matthews Band's crash into me. Haven't we all had a moment like that? Where it's full of so much that you're feeling, so much that's maybe slipped through your fingers where it feels like your world is ending, but then it doesn't. And there's another moment and another one after that, and whoever's there with you is there to live through those next moments. For me, I think about that road trip with my friend Sanaz that I talked about all the way back in the first episode. We took that road trip after I had my heart really broken for the first time, and we made a point not to let it take away from all the little beautiful things we wanted to see on our big adventure. I remember in particular when we were driving up a winding road at Golden Hour, 
windows rolled down with my favorite smell in the world, which is still growing pine trees and fresh mountain water, pouring in through the windows. And as we turned around a bend in Jackson Hole, Wyoming first came into sight, I remember needing to put phosphorescent song for Zula on, like needing it, like it was the most important thing in the world. And it was, because it made that moment so much more perfect for us. Life isn't always going to be what you think it's going to be. And I'll play myself over and over again, thinking I know where it's going to go for me, only to have it completely upended. And you know what? That's okay. Because if I can let it be a lesson instead of something that drags me down, if every time I get knocked down, I get back up a little stronger, it might not make me invincible, but it'll get me pretty damn close. I'm not scared to fall apart anymore. Because on some level, I know that come hell or heartbreak or high water, I'll make it out alive. I'm stronger than the worst things I've survived. And yeah, it's sometimes hard to remember that when you miss your train and you're late to work again, or when your therapist is asking you why you're having trouble communicating, or why you're thinking about the bills you have hanging over your head, or when you're walking alone at night and some man looks at you in a way that makes you pick up your pace a little more. But keep railing. Surround yourself with people who don't let you down, and make sure you're there for them when they call on you, even if they don't call for help outright. Be a lighthouse for other people, and trust that the people you keep in your life will lend a hand to help you right yourself when you fall. None of us have it all figured out. I doubt we ever will. But hold on to the good things that make the hard things worth the fight, and keep looking for joy in the little moments, no matter how silly that sounds. When you sit back and take stock in how it feels to see a sunset a golden hour, or hear a mockingbird when the rest of the world is waking up, or have a puppy lick your face, or stand in a room full of strangers who are electrified by the feeling of universally experiencing unbridled happiness, hearing an artist they adore perform a song they love, and it sounds a million times better than it does over the airwaves. When you pay attention to all those little things, when you treat them with respect and with reverence, when you choose to see the good things, Nothing can take those things from you. Those things, that feeling, that's the home you get to carry with you forever, no matter where you go or where you stay. The best piece of advice I've gotten in the last year, and by the way, the last year was one of the hardest ones I've had in a long time. I moved out of California for the first time, and I didn't just move, I moved across the whole damn country and crash-landed in the busiest part of Manhattan, then figured out how to get myself and my dog into a beautiful apartment in Brooklyn after a series of terrible experiences with roommates. The first six months I lived here were the worst on my mental health I'd experienced since the trauma I went through in college. I hadn't experienced that severe of depression and anxiety in a very long time, but the most recent six months have been an incremental process of getting healthier, stronger, a little happier, and a little better. But anyway, that advice. The best piece of advice I've gotten in the last year came to me in the form of a story. Someone I know had hired some mountain climbing coach to help him train for a few massive hikes. And partway up one particularly difficult hike up one particularly daunting mountain, this person I know told his coach, okay, this is it, I need a break, I can't do this. And his coach said, okay, okay, you can take a break, just 10 more steps. So this person took 10 more steps. And then his coach said, okay, you just did those 10 steps, just 10 more. And he took 10 more. And so on, and so on. And before he knew it, he was at the top of the mountain. It's 
really easy to look at the mountain in front of you and think to yourself, how in the true and pure hell am I supposed to climb this thing? And it's especially daunting when you look at other mountains around you and see other mountain climbers, some maybe with equipment to help them, some maybe without, chugging away at getting to their summits and seeming like they aren't struggling at all. But those mountain climbers aren't you, and that mountain in front of you is just an obstacle. You don't have to tackle that whole mountain at once. You don't have to do it all by yourself, and you don't have to get to the top right away or even anytime soon. You just have to take those next 10 paces at your own pace, and then 10 more, and 10 more after that. Just don't give up on taking that next first step. So that's all for now. This is indeed the finale of the first season, and wow, do I honestly just want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to it so far. I'm taking a little break to work on a few projects for Sad Girl Jams that I can't wait to share with you, but for now, I'm planning to be back at the end of September. But if I can ask you a favor, if you have a story to tell me about music that's mattered in your life that you are interested in sharing, please, please get in touch with me. I want to hear from you. Next season, I want to share more about music that's mattered to other people. You can email me your story at sadgirljams at gmail.com or by clicking the little icon on the Instagram page for this podcast, which you can find at sadgirljams. You can also get in touch on Twitter at SadGirlJams as well. As always, thank you for listening. The beautiful theme music for this podcast is by Moxie. The opening song is called Clouder, and the closing song, which I'm about to play in its entirety since, hey, it's a season finale and that calls for something special, is called Dreamland. You can listen to Moxie wherever you stream music and stay in touch with them on Instagram at MoxieLovesYou. That's M-O-X-I loves you. Don't forget, while you're checking out music to stream, to check out our Spotify soundtrack playlist, which is called Sad Girl Jams Soundtrack. Sad Girl Jams is written, edited, and produced by me, Lauren Gardner. I love you so much. And remember, stay kind and own your weird shit. <laughs>